Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You're listening to a new episode of the Leadership Student Podcast with M.K. Palmore. We are all lifelong learners, and nowhere is this more relevant than in the practice of leadership. Our goal is continual learning and improvement. Let's get after it. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hey everybody, this is MK Palmore. Welcome to a new episode of the Leadership Student Podcast. Uh, I've been looking forward to this conversation for quite some time. Uh, I have Chris Cochran in this uh, virtual studio. Uh, he's been a, a friend now for a few years and I'm uh, both an admirer of his and, and a watcher of all the things he's doing in the marketplace around podcasting and uh, creating his own media uh, company. But Chris Cochran, uh, one of the leaders and uh, founders of Hacker Valley Media. Welcome to the studio, Chris. Thanks, MK. Glad to be here. This is going to be good. Uh, love having conversations with you. I've had the benefit of, I think, of being on your podcast at least once or twice and have watched, uh, again, with admiration, your foray into the podcasting and all things media realm. Uh, and, I, and I want to jump into the leadership discussion with you around what it takes from an entrepreneurial standpoint to actually sort of forge off on your own and become uh, the leader of your own media element. And maybe we yeah. can start with just a little bit about your background in terms of what you were doing in tech uh, when you and your partner decided to sort of strike off on your own. Yeah. Uh, so briefly, you know, I've been in cybersecurity for about 20 years or so. I started out in the United States Marine Corps, URA, URA. <laughs> and uh, I was at the National Security Agency doing technical intelligence. I went to United States Cyber Command as a contractor when it stood up. I did a round robin at some really cool places. I've worked at U.S. House of Reps. Uh, Mandiant, uh, Ironnet, uh, United Technologies, Booz Allen Hamilton, and uh, ended up at uh, Netflix, uh, of all places, leading threat intelligence. And that was around the time where I started dabbling into content, started with a podcast, developed multiple podcasts, and then just continue my cybersecurity career from there. I led uh, uh, security operations for a little while, and then I really dived into my own entrepreneurial uh, efforts, which is Hacker Valley Media. We've created probably 12 podcasts, 12 different podcasts. Uh, we've created web series that have won awards. Uh, we create commercials, short videos, documentaries, and even now working on uh, animation. Uh, so really just trying to flex those creative muscles and get the messaging, the inspiration to all people in cybersecurity. So talk a little bit. I, I know your partner, Ron Eddings. He and I used to be colleagues yeah. at Palo Alto Networks and friends as well. How did you and uh, Ron connect with one another and, and sort of establish the idea that, hey, we're kind of both thinking along the same lines. Let's let's actually do this thing. Yeah. So we met when I was at uh, Ironnet. He was a threat hunter and I was the Intel guy. And then uh, when he broke out and went over to the West Coast in Silicon Valley, um, you know, we had parted ways for a little while. But when I realized I was going to Netflix, I reached out. I was like, hey, man, let's connect. I ended up staying with him for a few months. And uh, he was already doing instructional uh, content for cybersecurity practitioners. And then one day we just said, hey, let's hop on the mics, have a conversation. And the rest is history. It wasn't until you came on as a guest there in the studio. You said, I love working with entrepreneurs. I'm like, man, I haven't seen a dime for this. I've been putting money into it. And so uh, when we started really thinking about, like, how can this become a business? 
I mean, the, the rest was history. We, we started really hammering uh, down around the time of uh, the pandemic. And then ever since then, it's just been kind of this meteoric rise for the company and us as individuals. So did you guys, um, you know, the two of you sit and have the strategy planning sessions around what you, you know, the vision statement, what you thought it could be and the pieces that you needed to put in place for it. Was that a job that you guys took on yourselves or did you bring in help? What that look like? We did it all ourselves. I, I, I don't know if that was a stroke of genius or just plain dumb luck, but uh, we did a, a think week a la Bill Gates uh, right there in, in Silicon Valley. We took a trip up to the Redwoods and spent about five days uh, disconnected from everything, just talking, scheming, collaborating about what we wanted this thing to look like. And, uh, you know, since then, we've really kind of l used that experience as a touchstone, making sure that we're still on track with the vision that we had in mind. So both of you guys feel like leaders to me. Um, where do your leadership skills, the, your, your development and the practice of leadership, what's that? What's the origin story there? So I've always been a student of leadership ever since I was a little kid. Uh, when I was a little kid, I was in Marine Corps JROTC. And I remember, you know, I, I was a good student uh, and I was really good in ROTC just because of my ability to remember uh, facts, figures. I understood the, the customs and courtesies of the Marine Corps. I was in shape because I was uh, the captain of the wrestling team. And so one day uh, we needed somebody for uh, pass and review, uh, somebody to act as a first sergeant. And I just raised my hand, just volunteered, yeah, I'll do it. And then that just cascaded, cascaded into a bunch of opportunities to become a leader. I think me raising my hand was the, the kind of the, the nail in the coffin of him, uh, my ROTC instructor saying like, hey, I want this guy to be the Sergeant Major of the entire county. He put my package forward and ended up getting approved. Uh, that same year, that's when I became the captain of the wrestling team. And so I've always kind of like led into leadership. Like how do I rally people around a cause? How do I rally? people around the thing that they find passion in. And so ever since then, I've been, how do I become a better leader? How do I become a better leader? Going through the Marine Corps, you learn a lot about leadership. You learn a lot about good leadership, but you also learn a lot about bad leadership, which I think is just as important when you're finding that uh, leadership um, style of your own. I constantly read books on leadership constantly like tweaking and tuning my own approaches to leading different individuals. Uh, it took me very late into my leadership career because I always thought like, oh, you know, I got it nailed. I know exactly how I want to lead everybody. But, you know, of course you can lead people how you want to be led. That's a pretty good rule. But the best rule is leading people how they need to be led. And I didn't learn that until later on in my career. And so now I'm just like, oh, I thought I had it figured out, but there's more to learn. There's always more to learn when it comes to leadership. Hence the title, The Leadership Student. And I think that uh, you and I both share that belief that it's really an ongoing journey um, mm -hmm. that you experience in terms of your development. And there, it, there really is no end state because if for everyone thinks that, they, uh, that they've arrived at an end state, there will be a new scenario or a new mm -hmm. experience that you have that tells you that you don't know everything uh, about what it means to lead. So uh, you mentioned the, um, the, the individual who sort of identified you when you were young. Was he, was he one of one uh, or were there others in your youth that sort of poured in or at least gave you the inclination or idea that, hey, you know what, Chris, I see you as being a leader. Why don't you go step forward and stand in front of that, that squad, that platoon, that group of folks, and then uh, take on a leadership role? Was he one of one or were there others? 
There were a few others. Uh, Daniel K. Uh, I, I learned a lot from him. He was my first real uh, supervisor after the Marine Corps. And I mean, he let me fail. He let me fail a lot and he held me accountable. And in, in that scenario, I probably grew the most that I would ever grow as a leader because I thought that because of the Marine Corps, how structured it is, it's a little easier to lead. It's like, hey, here's your squad. Obviously, you got to listen to your squad leader. Boom, here's your mission. Go execute. But in the real world, people can kind of, it's like herding cats sometimes because people go over here, they want to go over there, they want to do this thing. And it's almost like you have to manage expectations. You have to manage your resources. It's a little different than in the Marine Corps. But uh, so he taught me a lot about that, held me accountable, uh, just different uh, mentors throughout the entire uh, entirety of my career. I've looked at different people, uh, even if say I have more leadership experience than somebody that I'm listening to, they might have something very specific that I want to learn from them. And so I never feel like that I'm in a place where I can't listen to somebody being coachable is, is being coachable is one of those very important aspects. I remember I, I've been an athlete all my life. And I remember uh, I was doing a stint as a power lifter. And I remember this kid, young kid, he was phenomenal. He's doing great, killing it at meets. And uh, one day he was like, yeah, you know, I'll never be a champion because uh, I'm not coachable. And I'm like, what? That, that's a that's a mindset shift. You, you don't have to just say like, hey, that's it. Oh, I'm not coachable. No, I'm not going to listen to anybody. If he would have just turned that on just a little bit, you probably could have been one of the greats. But I always feel like if you're coachable, if you'll listen to people that know better than you, that have fought the fight, uh, the fought the fight, that have been through those experiences, that's just going to get you there much quicker than if you're trying to figure out everything on your own. You, you already mentioned this, but you talked a little bit about reading books on leadership, learning it from other people. What role do you think that that continues to play in your um developing style as a leader specifically maybe the reading portion then i want to ask you about things like journaling yeah so on the reading front uh, i listen to a podcast called founders uh, which is all about the the great founders uh, in the past what this guy does is he reads uh, autobiographies and biographies about the great thinkers the great leaders of uh, our society and every time there is a great book or a book that i, I feel, feel like i need to read i buy it i have probably like 50 books sitting over there, just, just waiting to be read, but constantly reading and getting the aspects of other people. Cause if you think about it, if someone were to take their life story and put it into a book that you could read in about eight hours, think about all the lessons that you could learn. And like, just using that philosophy of reading different books, like Jocko Wilnick's, uh, mm -hmm. ownership, uh, extreme ownership. I mean, learning that sure you can try to deflect blame and put it on other people. You can let crap will roll downhill. But if you take ownership of the problems that your team runs into, that the mission runs into, that makes you uh, better for the stakeholders of the mission, but then it also makes you a better leader for the people that you're leading. So constantly reading, constantly trying to get more knowledge, different ways of looking at things, because I think of reading as diversity, diversity of thought, and the more diversity of thought, the more experiences that you could take on, even if it's secondary, the better you're going to be as a leader. So it's oftentimes challenging to set aside time to read. Um, yeah. It's very time consuming, actually. Um, it is. What kind of reader are you? Are you the kind that end to end in the book and you get through it pretty fast? Or do you just dive in on the places that you think might be interesting to you? A little bit of both, depending on the book. If there's a book that just hooks me and I'm like, oh. So it, funny enough, I it took me a long time to read this book, even though I knew that it was something that I needed to read. 
but uh, arranged by Dave Epstein. Uh, it's about uh, how everyone thinks that you need to be a master of one, but actually having range is is useful. I burned through that so quick because it, every single page, every single story resonated with me. And uh, but some other books are more textbook like. So I do a lot of study on uh, social neuroscience. And that's more of a like, hey, I'm going to jump to a, a chapter. I'm going to digest something, see how it sits with me, see how I can apply it to my creation, to my leadership and then just keep it moving. So I'm a mix of everything. I'm also a uh, subscriber of Blinkist, which I think is a pretty cool uh, application that boils uh, books down to their 10, 11 best points. And if I see something that's like, oh, wow, I need to read this book, then I'll just go and read the whole book. So yeah, you might be touching on something I, I may need to explore in a blog or something around uh, the idea of how sort of the new way to consume information might mm -hmm. might impact your development as a leader because it you know the, the traditional stuff like you mentioned I, I go read books maybe i listen to some ted talks you certainly in your professional life experience leaders in different ways because you're working with and for different people hopefully taking the good stuff leaving the bad stuff uh on the table uh, i'm wondering what kind of impact you think the role of technology plays on how we view leadership now yeah i would say that it is easier and harder. It's easier in the sense that you have access to more information, right? Whether you need uh, facts and figures for leadership styles, understanding people, uh, getting access to other research, um, access to other ideas and leaders. But then there's also a lot of bad out there. There's a lot of conflicting information that you're then having to an analyze to see what is the truth in, in your reality? What is the truth in the global sense. So I think it's, it's both easier and harder. Uh, there are things that I think can benefit leaders from a technological standpoint, but then are also things that could become crutches. For instance, uh, everybody uses chat GPT now for different mm -hmm. reasons. If you're utilizing chat GPT to write thank you letters for your team, uh, that's something that I don't think you should outsource to a machine. I think you should actually go through the motions of thinking about what do I want to say to my team and why did what they say res or what they did resonate with me, with the mission, uh, with the business. So I think uh, technology should be used in leadership, but I don't, I don't think it be, should be used as a crutch. So um, you mentioned team, team development. You've had probably a lot of exposure more than most. Having served in the Marines, you see a, a method of sort of team building exercise. What's been your vision of team building in the uh, in the private sector? I'm interested to, to hear maybe um, the challenge to actually building cohesive teams in, in the private sector. Yeah, so I got a little bit of a cheat code for that. Uh, very early on, uh, I would say around my time at Mandiant, I learned about Simon Sinek, uh, Start With Why. And Start With Why was really geared towards businesses and then in, and in individuals. But I thought, what if I could use this specifically for my team? What if we could craft what our team identity is together? Because I think a lot of the times that you find whenever you assume a team or build a team, there's still individuals at the end of the day. There needs to be a process for getting everyone into alignment. And if you allow the team to uh, provide input to what is our mission, what is our vision, what is our values as a team, people automatically take on ownership of the team as well. And when someone has ownership of the team and they identify as a team member of that team, they're going to perform much better than if they feel like they're an individual that's just punching the clock yeah. and going to work every single day. So that's one thing that I always take 
folks through is this this mission, vision, and fact finding this value finding mission of uh, figuring out what do we care about as a team and how do we move forward in that same identity. So I'm I'm a little bit split on this um, on your version of this only because uh, in my current employer uh, I that's absolutely the position they would take, which is everybody sort of crowdsource. Um, the vision mission statement, have them participate, um, shows and develops ownership. But the challenge, I think, in, in that model is that you get into a point where decision becomes democratized um, and it actually slows down the ability to execute because the bigger the team gets, guess what? If I give you a team of 50 people, you're going to get 61 different opinions as to how to tackle uh, any one particular problem. It's like, yep. it, it's like everyone's got a good idea. Uh, at some point, the leader's got to like, pick the decision or, or, or pick the, the choice and pick the direction of travel and go. Um, how do you feel like what you just described, which again, I absolutely believe in that as a, as a, as a core component of the foundation, but how do you then evolve that into something that's functional and scalable? Oh yeah. I'm definitely not saying that this process is uh, the leader being a napkin in the wind It's the leader that's taking input from the rest of the team. And it, and if you have a team of 50, I hope it's not a team of 50 direct reports. I'm hoping that in that team of 50, there's like five to six leaders that you're working with. So then you do that exercise with those five to six leaders. So you're on the same page. And so when they go to execute, they have that team identity, the values, the mission, the vision in mind. I would say that when you're doing this, this process with your team, you're taking in input and you're, you're putting that, that puzzle together with your vision in, in mind for where are you headed as, as a community or as a team. Because sometimes one of the rebuttals that I received for this was, well, you shouldn't pick your mission because the organization should have picked your mission. They, they, they wanted you to build this team for X, Y, and Z reason. Mm -hmm. Why would you even describe uh, crafting the mission with your team? Even if it's the same exact mission, even if you say, all right, this is our mission, this sentence, like, oh, we're the threat hunters for this uh, organization. Even if you put your own language on it, it's the same thing. If you were to say it three different ways, it's the same exact thing, but you chose the words that went onto that page. You're still going to take that on as a, uh, being having ownership of what that mission is. So I think even going through that exercise, whether it's the, the leader that's dictating what that mission is, whether it's the business, still having people feel like they can have input to what the mission is, even if their input isn't taken at wholeheartedly, 100%, I still think they feel involved in the creation and the mission at the end of the day. Yeah, good point. Um, I talk a lot about, um, certainly from my perspective, I've learned more from my failures than I have from my successes. Is there anything in your uh, leadership past that sort of sticks with you? You can anonymize any data uh, here, yeah. retelling any story, but is there anything that, that sticks with you that just really changed your perspective on leadership? Absolutely. And it was, I, I kind of alluded to it earlier in the, the episode where we were talking about uh, leading people how they need to be led. Because I thought, you know, coming, you know, from where I was coming from, I was like, oh, I, I got leadership figured out. I'm going to give everyone as much freedom to do their work as possible because that's how I want to be led. Uh, I don't need to be micromanaged. You give me a mission, you give me my resources, and I'm going to go execute. And I thought that, yeah, I'm going to just lead everyone that way. I want people to do their best work. I'm going to give them the support that they need. But for all intents and purposes, it's going to be on them to execute their mission. 
And then uh, one day uh, I received a message from my boss to say, hey, I want to have a conversation with you. I uh, got on to have a conversation. And one of the people that were on my team went and complained because they felt like I wasn't valuing their work. I wasn't supporting them. And I was completely taken back. I no. was like, whoa, wait, where did this all come from? I had no idea that this was going on. This person felt that as though because I was saying, hey, do your best work, go figure it out yourself. They felt like I was leaving them on an island on their, on their own. I was meeting with everybody about every other week or something like that. They needed much more frequent touch points with me. And so I realized you can't lead everybody how you want to be led. You have to lead people the way they need to be led. And so if they need a little extra time, they need a little uh, extra attention, a little uh, more direction, then you have to kind of tweak and tune your leadership abilities to get the best performance out of them. Am I saying that you have to bend to the will of every single person that you lead? Absolutely not. But if you want to get the best performance out of people, you have to tweak and tune your own leadership style, sometimes to fit the mission and the person at hand. It, no, this is a fantastic point you're bringing up. And it's something I, I struggled with as well early in my uh, leadership career, because our backgrounds are very similar. Mm -hmm. um, uh, very similar inoculation, or or some might call it brainwashing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I come from my experience in the Marine Corps, and I go into this massive organization, the FBI, thinking that leading is basically the same, uh, no matter where you go. And and over the course of my career, there have certainly been um, situations that have taught me exactly what you just described, which is not everybody needs the same uh, style of leadership employed mm -hmm. uh, upon them uh, or with them and in conjunction with what they need. And you, as a leader, you have to identify that happens over time. And it's not something that happens overnight, but if, you, if you've got a, a, even a small team or, or a fairly large team, you begin to recognize the, the individual needs of folks and how to get the best out of them. And that's kind of the, mm -hmm. that's, that's the tricky part. The, I, the frame of reference I think leaders have to take is how do I get the best out of that Right. individual, which can be a challenge. Again, if you're focused elsewhere and you're just like, okay, I have these 20 people assigned and my job is to generate X number of widgets and my God, we're not meeting that quota. Right. Uh, right. You got to, mm -hmm. you got to figure out how to dig in and make that happen. Uh, I skipped over this, but um, uh, journaling, um, time for reflection, like how do you do that uh, as a leader yourself? Is it, it you, you're a very busy guy. How do you even have time? uh to reflect yeah. but what do, what do you do in that regard yeah so one thing that i've done uh is i'm i'm terrible at journaling i always start it and i never keep up with it i do get to write uh from a creative sense so i, I almost view that as my my way of journaling but one of the things that i really got into uh is is gratitude and I, i'm sure you've heard the the process of people writing down hey write down the three things you are grateful for today it could be something big it could be something small and uh, I always thought, I was like, that's interesting that most self-help books, most self-help courses, they tell you to do that. And it wasn't until maybe a couple of years ago where I realized why that is. And it's actually based in neuroscience. What happens is, is you are looking for things that you're grateful for every single night. Maybe it's morning, maybe it's afternoon, maybe it's during a specific time during the day. But your brain starts to say, okay, this guy's gonna come in and he's gonna try to think about these things that he's grateful for. And he's been doing this for the last 90 days. To beat him to the punch, what I'm gonna start to do is I'm going to start to notify him as these things of gratitude start to occur in the moment. So you're programming yourself to identify those moments in which you're grateful for. And so in the moment, you start to say, 
that's a moment that I'm grateful for. Instead of saying like, all right, let me think back to what I could be grateful for. Your mind starts to be programmed to identify those moments of gratitude, which can increase job satisfaction. It can increase joy, contentment, happiness, um, just complacency uh, in a good sense when it comes to your family, your job, your role in life. You find those grateful moments and boom, uh, life just gets a little bit easier. I don't know if you read anything from Brene Brown, but she wrote things like Dare to Lead. Uh, a lot of times joy is followed up by fear. And she said the best thing that you can do to combat that fear, like if you go and you look at your, if you had a, you know, you've had, you know, you've had kids, I've had kids. Uh, I remember walking in, you know, seeing them in their little cribs as completely vulnerable and beautiful and innocent as possible. And you get that, that sense of joy, but then immediately that joy starts to fade away because you're like, what if something bad happened to them? What if they got sick? What if somebody did something wrong to them? What if uh, they don't turn out how we would want them to be and they become a criminal, right? You start to think about all these things that might not ever happen. That's because you start to use that joy and that joy turns into fear. But if you use that gratitude to be present in the current moment, then that fear goes away and then you can enjoy that joy. But then you also like have that gratitude as that bedrock for your mentality, for your disposition. So I would say that that's probably been the biggest thing. But now I feel like I'm living in those moments. So I don't journal as much because I feel like I've programmed my mind to find those moments as they occur. So you, you've mentioned uh, neuroscience um, twice now in the conversation. Uh, how are you using your education in neuroscience to, uh, you just described, I think, really one of the solid ways. That's a, that was a fantastic yep. example you gave. Um, it, it sounds like an area that you, you, you feel like you can leverage um, to better yourself, better life's experience. What's All the, the time. Yeah. What's the, what's the catch there? How'd you get started in that? Uh, so the catch was I had this idea for this study um, because I, I got really obsessed with uh, tension uh, not attention like uh, ADHD attention, but attention in uh, social media, right? These influencers become influencers. How do they cultivate attention uh, from a, a psychological development perspective? Why do we need attention as children, right? Uh, we, we've known, uh, we've seen studies where kids have gotten sick or even died just by lack of attention from the adults that are taking care of them. So I'm like, why is attention so important in society? You see people do crazy things online for attention. Like, why is attention so important? So I was like, what is the study of attention? And I couldn't find a place. I'd reached out to different psychologists and I just couldn't figure it out. And then one day in the shower, uh, because things often happen in the shower when your brain goes into default mode, I said, I thought of like this whole study and I thought of this whole science. I'm like, let me see if this exists. So I took this description and I popped it in the chat GPT and lo and behold, it said social neuroscience. And I, and then that moment I bought every book on social neuro, neuroscience that I could. And one of the biggest things that I read in the very first book that I read, there are four different types of social interactions that people have. There is selfish, right? I'm going to gain, you're going to lose in this social interaction. There is altruistic where I lose, but you gain. And I mean, you, you can debate what you gain or what you lose, uh, that, that's besides the point. There's spite in which we both lose. So, hey, I'm going down. I'm going to take you down with me. Mm -hmm. And then the ultimate, which I think is has really driven a lot of the content that I produce, a lot of the things I do on social media is mutual, right? We both gain together. 
when you look at media, you look at sales, uh, whether you're talking technology, you're talking cybersecurity or anything in the general public, I think a lot of it comes from selfish places. It comes from, hey, there's a bottom line that we're trying to meet. Let's you know, try to get what we can out of a situation. There's a lot of scammers out there putting out courses that don't mean anything. There are a lot of people that are promising that you're going to get a $100,000 job if you take my six-week course for cybersecurity. There's a lot of selfishness that's going on out there. But I think if the more people leverage the mutual, right, because I want to benefit, but I also want you to benefit as much as I do, the more we can lean into mutual beneficial situations, whether we're talking about social media, we're talking about social interaction, we're talking about relationships, I think be people will be better off at the end of the day. Um, I just launched a um, small but mighty uh, consulting firm dealing with leadership coaching. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the um, on the idea of leadership coaching, um, not teaching, coaching, yep. and and, mm -hmm. and and how you've seen that one. I think we've all kind of watched it evolve in the market. I think it's continuing to evolve. Uh, how do you feel about the idea of folks looking for uh, folks to help them be better leaders? I think the moment you start looking for help as a leader, you just became a better leader. I think a lot of folks come into leadership and they think, hey, you know, I got some training in the Marine Corps or I got some training in uh, law enforcement or I was the, uh, the class leader in the third grade and they think they know what leadership is. But I think the moment you say, you know, I don't know everything um, and I need help to get there, whether you're reading books, you get a coach. I think all of that stuff is very positive. I've uh, leaned on executive coaches uh, pretty much almost my entire career. And I would say that it's more about learning about who you are than it is learning about the, the tips and the tricks and all that stuff. Once you realize who you are as a leader and you start to tack on those tools, that's when you're a force to be reckoned with. It's not about, oh, I'm going to learn this trick to deal with this scenario with this particular uh, subordinate. It's about how, what are my hangups? What are my biases? What are the things that I do that might not lean into communication and cooperation? Uh, empathy, diversity, right? You start to learn like, where are my gaps? And I think having somebody to kind of walk you through that journey is super important. You just gave me the idea for a leadership blog uh, and I'll let you know when I, when I finish really? it. <laughs> yeah. I'll let you know when I finish it. That's good stuff. Appreciate it. What's on the, uh, what's on the horizon for uh, Hacker Valley Media? On the horizon, we got a lot of things cooking. We have the Difference Makers Awards, which we run with uh, SANS. That's going to be occurring uh, December 13th. Uh, we are hosting Cyber Creator Con uh, with the Cyber Marketing Society at their cyber marketing conference that they do every year. That's going to be in Austin, December 11th. Uh, we have some keynote, uh, or keynote speeches that we're doing coming up here real soon. Like I said, uh, we're continuing to do uh, live streams, podcasts, make incredible content. But my own per personal pet project is uh, this animation that I got cooking. Uh, that I think is going to really, really wow people uh, once it comes out. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing more of that once it uh, once it hits the stage. Chris Cochran, you uh, as always, my friend, a fantastic conversation. I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you uh, about this passion topic of mine. Uh, always enjoy talking with folks that have some skills in the leadership practice realm. I uh, appreciate you being on. Thank you. Absolutely, MK. I appreciate it. Make sure you get them right with that leadership coaching. Outstanding. Uh, hey, folks, that's it for this episode of the Leadership Student Podcast. Appreciate you guys listening in. Make sure that uh, you share this episode with others, and we'll see you on the next go around. Thank you.
we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leadership Student Podcast with M.K. Palmore, part of the ITSB Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then add this show to your favorite podcast player, subscribe to the ITSB Magazine YouTube channel, and share the ITSB Magazine Podcast Network with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to connect your brand to our conversations and our audience, visit itsbmagazine.com to learn how to sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.